Welcome to The House Podcast. We hope today's message resonates with you and inspires you as you grow in your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. We're glad you're here. Thanks, Oliver. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. And it's nice to, as Oliver mentioned, nice to be speaking today, not as a guest, but as a regular member of, of, uh, I was going to say evangel. That's bad. That's bad. (laughs) Regular member of the house. That's like uh, calling your wife by your old girlfriend's name kind of a thing. You know, that's not a cool thing to do at all. So really, really good to be part of the house. Uh, Last uh, summer, uh, my wife, Wendy, and I, we just kind of were feeling like we needed a, like a fresh start. You ever been at that place in your life where you just feel, I just need a fresh start. Some of you, you came to the house because, like us, you felt like you needed a fresh start as far as church goes. And, um, you know, we had pastored Evangel for 17 years, and Evangel will always have a special place in our heart. It will always have a special place in our heart. But, but sometimes you just need a fresh start. And so the house was that fresh start for us. And so we're just really glad to be here. We love everything about this place. We love the leadership. Don't you just love the leadership of this, this place? It's just awesome. And yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and of course, they, uh, you know, they've been doing it without their lead pastor, Chad, for you know, a number of months now. And I know we're all just excited about Chad coming back. But they've been doing just such a great... It seems like you know, the house has not missed a beat, you know? And that's, that's, not, that's a good thing, you know, when you've got strong, like a strong bench, strong leadership like that. And so we just love it here. And uh, we just can't wait to see what God has for all of us. Um, this morning, we're continuing through this series that Oliver began last week. It's going to take us through the Christmas season. It's, uh, it's entitled Worth the Wait, and it's just talking about waiting. And I just thought that, you know, if, if you were here last week or you watched online, uh, Oliver did just such a beautiful, beautiful job of talking about this whole idea of waiting and how important waiting is in our, in our journey and, and how Listen, in our culture, most of us are not good at waiting. We don't love waiting. It's one of the things we love the least if we have to wait in line. And, and he talked about that. In fact, in our culture, we sort of see, often see waiting as wasted time. But then he reminded us of how in the Bible, from the biblical point of view, waiting isn't supposed to be seen as wasted time. But waiting is something that is very important in our character development, particularly our Christian character development, because it's often during the time of waiting that we have to learn how to let go. We have to learn how to let go, and we have to learn how to trust God. And, and oftentimes, it's, it's during that time that God takes us to a, like a deeper level in relationship with Him. And, and often, we look back on the time, and we say, man, it was hard to wait. It was hard to go through that period. But I'm kind of glad I had to because it took me to a, a deeper place in my walk with God. And I could have never got there unless I'd gone through the period of waiting and trusting him. I'll never forget Christmas 1984. Uh, Wendy and I had been married two years and we were anticipating the birth later that, that year or the next year actually of our, of our, uh, our, our first child, a girl. And... Um, for many of uh, for 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 most of that time, it was you know for a lot of that time we was happy in some respects, but 
like a lot of couples, especially couples early in ministry, we were dirt poor. <laughs> we just didn't have two nickels to rub together. And uh, I, I'd been working at a ministry, Youth for Christ, and, and that's a ministry where you have to raise your own support. And I can just tell you, it wasn't going well. And uh, I hadn't been paid for several months uh, because the support wasn't there. Wendy was working a bit, but you know, we were just scraping by and we, we didn't have much money for Christmas at all. And I remember just feeling so discouraged and just kind of worried, like, how are we going to make it as we waited for Christmas? And then just a few days before Christmas, something magical happened. I, uh, I remember coming home that day and I drove into our, you know, the driveway and walked around the back of our little 800 square foot wartime house in Saskatoon. And, and there on the back porch, there's a box. And I opened up the box and inside the box, there's some gift cards and, you know, some food and gift certificates and stuff. And taped to the box was a little note, Merry Christmas from your friends at the church. And I was so moved at that moment. You know, then so moved by the compassion of our church community. And we didn't let it on that we weren't doing that great, but somebody knew and they, they you know, I guess they, they dropped that box off. And I, I was so moved by, I can still remember it as if it was yesterday. I literally dropped on my knees in the snow on that porch and bawled like a baby. <laughs> Just thanking God for his faithfulness and his goodness and that he hadn't forgotten about us. And you know, that experience taught me a couple of things. And the first thing it taught me was this, don't ever discount what God is doing during a period of waiting. The waiting is hard, but don't ever forget that in the waiting time, God is still at work and God can be trusted. That's the first thing it taught me. But the second thing it taught me was this, don't ever stop believing that God might have something good for you just around the corner, even though you may not be able to see it at the time. And that experience and dozens of others like it throughout the years has taught me a little bit more, and I'm still learning about this, about living with expectation. Living with expectation of what God wants to do in our lives. And so that's what I want to just talk about this morning, because one of the things that I think can help us get through a difficult time of waiting is this expectation and anticipation that something good is waiting for us just on the other side. You know, the Bible in the book of Hebrews, it's talking about Jesus. And when Jesus was on the cross, you know, how could Jesus endure the agony and the, and the, and the suffering of the cross? How could he endure that? It says he could endure it for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross Jesus couldn't endure the horrors of the cross because he knew what was coming. He knew what God had in store for him. He knew that he was about to realize what God has promised. He could endure the difficulty and the suffering of the cross because he knew and expected that something good was coming on the other side. You see, one of the things that helps us through a difficult time of waiting is this, this concept, this idea that God has something good on the other side. And so this morning, I want to introduce us or reintroduce us to two lesser known characters in the Christmas story. They're not part of the nativity story, but they're there just post nativity. And their names are Simeon and Anna, Simeon and Anna. And they're found in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 38. So if you have your Bibles, you could turn there. Scriptures will be up on the screen if you're watching online and you want to, you know, if you're following along on a tablet. 
like Wendy and I do sometimes when we're watching online, you can do that. But Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read this fairly lengthy portion of Scripture from verses 22 down to verse 38. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, talking about Jesus, took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to be the cause, to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And there was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was very old and she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow until she was 84. And she never left the temple, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Amen. The first 20 chapters here in Luke are quite familiar to people who know the nativity story. They speak about the, the birth of Jesus. They speak about the proclamation to the shepherds, speak about the shepherds, you know, going and, and, and seeing, the, you know, Jesus and, and Mary and Joseph and so on. But then in verse 21, uh, Luke moves ahead. He's going to move ahead eight days, first of all, where, you know, the baby Jesus is brought, according to the law, and circumcised and given the name of Jesus you know, according to the proclamation of the angels. And then in verse 22, he's going to jump ahead or fast forward another 40 days when Mary and Joseph are going to come to the temple and they're going to make this five-mile journey from Bethlehem to Jerusalem and they're going to bring Jesus with them and, and, and two ceremonies are going to go through during that time that, again, were handed down from the time of Moses. The first one was this purification of Mary, of a woman after, after birth. And uh, you can read about it in Leviticus 12 and why they went through that. But during that time, there was a sacrifice that would have been made by the couple or would have been offered, you know, in thanksgiving and celebration for the birth of this child. And if you were wealthy, you would offer maybe a lamb. But if you weren't wealthy, like Mary and Joseph, you would offer up a couple of birds. So that's the first reason they come. The second reason for coming to the temple was to consecrate and dedicate their child to the Lord. In the earlier service this morning, we had a, we had a baby dedication and a, and a couple, you know, dedicated their beautiful girl to the Lord. And this is something that's been handed down throughout the generations from that time till this. And so that's the other reason why they, they're coming. Anyway, as they come to the temple, 
Mary and Joseph come across these two people by the name of Simeon and Anna. Two very different people, totally unrelated to each other, but each of them had the same thing in common. Both were looking with a great sense of anticipation and expectation of the coming of the Messiah. In fact, I, I just love the way Luke describes them in, in, in the Greek. He's going to use the Greek. And the term that he uses literally means this. They were alert to his appearance and they were ready to welcome him. I love that. They were alert to his appearance and they were ready to welcome them. And so, so you have these two people who all their lives, they've been waiting for the coming of the Lord. We don't know much about them other than the fact that they were alert to Christ appearing, and they were waiting for the Messiah. Simeon, we're assuming he was an older man. We don't know that. But Anna, we know, was an older woman, right? She'd been married for seven years. Her husband died. And then now from that time until, that, that time until now, she's 84 years old. She's been in the temple courts worshiping and praising God, totally dedicated to God, faithfully serving him. And, and so other than that, we, we don't know much about them. But what we do know is each of them, had this sense of expectancy of that which God had promised was going to come about in their time. And the phrase I like to, to, to use is that these people were, uh, they were pregnant with expectation. <laughs> they were pregnant. They, it was like this, this had been growing up with inside them and they, they just couldn't wait for it to, to be birthed, the promise of God. You ever been uh, pregnant with expectation about something? Maybe, uh, maybe it was like a long-awaited vacation. You know, like you've been working hard and you, you needed a vacation and you were planning for it and you couldn't wait for it to come and you were just waiting and waiting and counting down the days. Or maybe for some, it's, uh, it's waiting for a, a child to be born. You're, you're literally pregnant, right, with expectation. You, you can't wait for the child to be born. You know, for some of us, it was, it was like, you know, waiting for the, the, the COVID restrictions to be lifted, right? We knew it was coming. We couldn't wait for it to happen. And, and finally, they, they, they happened. Or, or for some of you, it might be, you know, waiting for, for relatives to come. You know, you hadn't seen them for a long time and you're waiting for them to come. For some of them, for some of you, it might be waiting for relatives to leave, right? You know, you can't wait for that. You know, they come and go. Nice to see them come. Nice to see them go. But, but this is how Simeon and Anna were feeling that day when Jesus was brought to the temple. They were waiting for the coming of the Lord. They were waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. And, and as Luke describes it, they were alert to his appearance and ready to welcome him. They were pregnant with expectation. You know, as you think about your own spiritual life, let me ask you this question. Do you live your life pregnant with expectation? that Jesus might come and want to do something special in your life? When you pray, do you come with a sense of expectation that Jesus might just want to answer some of your prayers? When you're praying for somebody else, do you, do you come, do you pray with an expectation that Jesus might just want to set them free from whatever they're going through, from whatever they're experiencing? When you pray for your finances, do you pray with expectation that God might be interested in your finances and might want to help you out in some way. How many of us are living our lives pregnant with expectation? We just have this sense that Jesus wants to come and do something tangible in our lives. Or, on the other hand, how many of us live our lives, if we were gut level honest, we just live our lives with feeling like 
I guess this is just about as good as it's ever going to get. Or maybe for some of us, it's been a long time when it seems like Jesus has really showed up in some tangible way in our lives. Or maybe it's been a long time since we prayed for something and, and, and we got a tangible answer in some way. Or maybe, just maybe, we were praying for something. And maybe that something that we were praying for didn't turn out the way that we had hoped. And it left us feeling disappointed. And that disappointment has caused us now to be a little tentative with our expectations. Caused us to be a little careful with our expectations. I know what that feels like. I got a, a close family member who struggles with depression for more than 20 years now, struggled with depression. A great guy, knows the Lord, but struggles with depression. In fact, at times, he's been hospitalized, you know, in McNair unit in the hospital, a psychiatric ward because of his depression, sometimes for weeks at a time. And I'm just going to be completely transparent here and just say, you know, there have been times when I would go and visit him and visit him day after day after day. And, you know, you're just not seeing any progress, not seeing any results. And I can tell you, in those moments, it's hard to pray with expectation when what you see right in front of you is, is not the answer to your prayers at that moment. In fact, in those moments, I kind of relate more to that guy in the Bible who, who prayed, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, right? And maybe some of you felt like that about something you've been praying about, something you've been waiting for, and you're in the waiting place, and it's just not happening. And I, I even think about this, these people, Simeon and Anna. I, I wonder how many times they faced disappointments through the years. I mean, I wonder how many people there were coming, claiming to be the Messiah. We knew in that time there were many that claimed to be Messiah, only to be false messiahs. And, and they, they see somebody come and, who claims to be a Messiah, and they wonder, is this the one? Only to be disappointed time and time again. And yet, as I look at this passage, as I look at and try to get a glimpse into this life, there, there's, there's, there's something that I see in Simeon and Anna that was so beautiful, and it's this. It seems that these were people who were not governed simply by the disappointments of their past, but rather they were people who were led by the expectation and anticipation about the future. Let me say that again. Simeon and Anna were people who were not simply governed by the disappointments that they'd experienced in the past, but rather they were led by the expectation and anticipation of what God would do in the future. And folks, I think that's what God would have for us. I think that's how God wants us to live our lives, that we wouldn't be so bound up by the disappointments of the past, but rather we'd be looking forward to the future about what God has for us in the future. That we would be people like Simeon and Anna, that we would be pregnant with expectation of what God wants to do if only we will let him. Now, let me say this. That this kind of a lifestyle, and it is a lifestyle, I think, a lifestyle that is filled with expectation, a lifestyle that's filled with faith, a lifestyle that's filled with anticipation. This doesn't just happen on its own. 
It's like so many things in the Christian life. It doesn't just happen on its own. It has to be cultivated over our lives. And we can begin now. We can begin today. It has to be cultivated. Just like Oliver last week was talking about his garden. It doesn't grow just on its own. It has to be cultivated. It has to be nurtured. And this kind of lifestyle has to be nurtured in that same way. And so for the remaining time this morning, let me just give you a few suggestions. Just a few suggestions about how we can cultivate a greater level of anticipation and and expectation about what God would want to do in our lives. First thing I want to suggest is this. If we're going to cultivate a level of expectation, for some of us, it's going to mean that we're going to have to do something about changing our mindset. Because for some of us, we live with too much of a negative mindset. (laughs) We need to move from a negative mindset to a positive mindset. You know, Jesus said something powerful in John 10.10. He said, the thief, talking about Satan, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But he said, I have come to give you life and life to the full, or life more abundantly. And and what he's talking about there is is this, that, that people oftentimes allow the enemy to come and steal blessing from their lives. And one of the ways people do that is by listening to the lies that the enemy wants to tell them. Listening to the lies, oftentimes we tell ourselves, lies like, this is as good as it's ever going to get. Lies like, God never wants to answer my prayer. Lies like, just give up. Lies like, don't ever expect that God would want to do anything special from you. Folks, those are not truths from God. Those are lies from the enemy who has come to steal the blessing from God's people. And we need to stop giving him the right to do that. And one of the ways we do that is to start to change, cognitively change our mind from a negative mindset, a mindset that believes the lies that we tell ourselves, to a mindset that believes what God has said, that God is for us and he's not against us. One of the ways we do that, and this is the second thing I want to just share with you, but how to cultivate a lifestyle of expectancy. One of the ways we do that is just filling ourselves up with the promises of God. (laughs) I'm just talking about regularly reading what God has promised in his word for us. Going over the promises of God and sometimes even just reading them out loud. Somebody once said, you know, do you want to hear the voice of God in your life? And of course, I think we all want to hear the voice of God in our life. Do you want to hear the voice of God in our life? The person said, Why not start by reading God's word out loud? (laughs) Because that's where we hear God's voice most often. It's through his word, right? We read his word out loud. We're going to start hearing his voice. And I've just discovered there's something powerful about regularly reciting God's promises, speaking them over your life. That's what happened to Simeon and Anna. They believed the promises of God. They spoke them over their lives. And eventually, that's what happened. Then thirdly, Another way to cultivate a lifestyle of expectation, a lifestyle of greater faith, is through reading the biographies. This is something practical. Reading the biographies of great men and women of God. I'm talking about people who have experienced some great things from God in their life. Listening to testimonies, reading their biographies, because this will help to encourage our faith to believe God for greater things as well. I'll never forget uh, being in Calcutta, India one night, And we were part of a mission team. In fact, Pastor Chad was part of that mission team as well. We'd been doing some pastoral training up in northern India. And uh, we were on our way back to Thailand, where we were going to do some more ministry. And we had to overnight in Calcutta. Now, Calcutta is not the most favorite place for most people to overnight, I can tell you. And, you know, if you've ever been to Calcutta or if you've ever seen pictures of Calcutta, it's just, you can, the, 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 
the desperation. It's almost like you can almost, you know, just feel the death and desperation all around you. I've been to Calcutta several times, but on this particular time, we were staying in a, in a little retreat center. It was right next door to where Mother Teresa, you know, had her ministry for more than 40 years, you know, among the dead and dying of Calcutta. And right outside our door, you, you could just see so much human despair that it just caused it just caused you to feel overwhelmed by grief. And grief. In fact, most of our team, they just wanted to get out of there as soon as, as possible. But I remember, I remember that going to bed that night. And before I fell asleep, I was reading the biography of this great man of God in the nation of Fiji. He was one of the leaders, and I can't even remember his name now, but he was one of the leaders of the, the church in Fiji, and they'd experienced a great revival, incredible things, you know, you know, uh, t- tens of thousands of people coming to faith in Christ under his ministry. And I fell asleep reading the exploits of this great man of God. And I remember waking up like two hours later, and the room was literally filled with light. And here I was, you know, in the midst of one of the darkest cities in the world. And at that moment, I never felt more alive in God, you know, than than, than I, I hadn't felt so alive in God that I had in many, many years. It was almost like at that moment, I was being refilled again over and over with the Holy Spirit. Here's my point. I think there was a connection between reading the biography of this man and God touching me at that moment. There's something faith building that can come in our lives by reading powerful testimonies of great men and women of God. As we immerse ourselves in this kind of reading or this kind of thought, it'll help us to believe God for greater things in our own life. In fact, I think for many of us, our view of God, our problem is that our view of God is not too big. For many of us, our view of God is that he's too small. In fact, C.S. Lewis talked about this. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. (laughs) We're far too easily pleased. And so I think that's the case for many of us, and that's why we need to take steps to immerse ourselves in, 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 in the stories of faith-building uh, faith kinds of stories, and I think that will help to create and build a sense of expectancy about what God can do in our lives. Then number four, here's another thing we can do. Give our lives over to thanksgiving and prayer and praise. It's just something about that builds up our faith when we listen to these great songs of praise, when we come to church and throughout the week. I mean, I think about Anna in the temple. She spent her time worshiping and praising God, and, and that built a sense of uh, uh, alertness and anticipation and expectancy to the point where she was alert to Christ's appearance and ready to welcome him when he came. And then lastly, finally, in order to cultivate a life, a greater sense of expectancy, We need to keep looking forward. We need to keep looking ahead. As I said, not to be so much consumed or governed by the disappointments, and we all face disappointments, but not to be governed by that, the disappointments of the past, but always keeping our sights looking forward. God, what do you have for me? What's the next thing you want to do? What's the answer prayer that you want to give? How do you want to move? Looking forward to the possibilities what God might have for us in the future. 
Folks, we need to remember that no matter where we are at in the story of our lives, remember this, never forget this, the story or the end of the story has not been written yet. Don't ever forget that. Who knows what's around the corner? Who knows what God might have in store for you? And so I encourage you, don't give up. Don't give in. Keep looking ahead. Keep trusting God for more. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. I want to close by just thinking about this concept of looking ahead, looking forward with anticipation, expectation. I just want to close by sharing an incident that happened in Wendy and my life earlier this year. In May, we were uh, traveling in, um, in Spain, and we were up in northern Spain, and uh, we were in uh, Santiago de Compostela, and we were there at the cathedral, and you can see a picture of it in the, in the background here. We were, you know, spent some time in the courtyard and walking through the great cathedral in Santiago de Compostela, and the cathedral's famous for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's it's purported that that's the place where the remains of St. James, the disciple of Jesus, are laid to rest. And you can kind of go down into this little crypt area there, and that's where they believe the, the remains were. So it's famous for that. But the other reason why it's famous, it's famous because for many people, it's the end point for the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James, or the Pilgrim's Trail. Some of you may have seen the movie The Way, right, that talks about that, and you've heard about this. And it's this 500-mile long journey that thousands of people walk along every year. It takes you from France all the way across northern Spain, 500 miles. Most people walk it. If you walk it, it takes you at least five weeks to walk. (laughs) It's a long way. It's a long journey. And so this is usually the end point for that journey. So people, by the time they get there, these pilgrims, they're like exhausted, right? But they're just in a state of wonder because of all that they've experienced. And now here they are at the end of their journey. And in front of the cathedral is this huge square. And while we were standing in the square, we thought, we saw what we thought was just a a great sight. Off to the one side, there was this couple. And we couldn't take our eyes off them. They were a couple, they looked like to be in about their 40s or so. And Obviously, they had been on the journey for a long time. They had backpacks and everything, and they were standing up looking at the, uh, at the cathedral, and they looked exhausted. They looked tired. They looked like they had been on the trail for, for weeks and weeks. And just as we got there, running across the square towards them were these three children. They looked to be like elementary school, maybe early teenage children. They were running towards them, and it looked like they had their grandmother in tow behind them. And as they ran across the square, we discovered that they were the children of these, this couple because they were running and they were just shouting, Mama, Papa, Mama, Papa. And they just leapt into the arms of their parents and they hugged each other and they cried and the, the tears of joy and the, the reunion was so amazing. It was a wonder to behold. And as I looked at that scene, I thought, boy, how hard it must have been for those parents and children to have to wait. You know, they'd been apart for perhaps weeks at a time, weeks now, you know, many, many days. And I could only imagine that the waiting had been difficult. But in the end, the reunion was so sweet and we got to see it. And I thought to myself, the waiting was difficult, 
but the reunion was worth the wait. And as I looked upon that scene, I, I literally leaned over to Wendy and I said, you know, dear, I wonder if that isn't a picture of what heaven is going to be like. When the waiting, all the waiting that we experience in this life with all of its challenges, all of its disappointments, all of the, the pilgrimage that we're on, finally the waiting is over and, and on that day we'll experience the blessed reunion. And what will that day be like? When all the disappointments of this life are done, when all the unanswered prayers are finally answered, when all the wrongs and all the injustice of this world somehow is made right in Jesus. And in that day, when we'll get to embrace Jesus for ourselves, the one who we've served for our whole life, and we'll get to embrace those loved ones who've gone on before us, what a day that will be. Richard Baxter, the great Puritan preacher, talks about that day this way. He said, my knowledge of that life is small. The eye of faith is dim but it is enough that Christ knows all and I shall be with him. Oh, how wonderful that will be. So friends, we're in the season of Advent. Advent literally means the arrival. It's about looking back. It's about looking forward. It's about thinking about the arrival of Jesus in Bethlehem. It's about looking forward to his arrival as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so during this Advent season, here's what I want to encourage you to do. As we're spending time looking back to the manger in Bethlehem, and it's right to do that. As we're doing that, let's also take some time to think about looking forward to that day when Jesus will come again. And as we look forward, let's look with anticipation and expectancy and as we're looking with a sense of expectancy of what that day is going to be like, let's come back to this day, right where we live now, and say, God, will you build a sense of expectancy within me right now? Will you build a greater sense of anticipation in me of what you want to do in my life, through my life, in this world? And so let me close in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Just as we pray and ask the Lord to cultivate a greater, help us cultivate a greater level of expectancy in the midst of all we're facing. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for this time of year, this season that reminds us that you came as a baby born in Bethlehem, but the season that also reminds us that one day you are coming, not as a baby, but you're coming as a King of kings and Lord of lords, and we look forward to that day. Lord, we recognize that each and every one in our own ways, we've experience disappointments. And, and sometimes we know, Lord, that disappointment can leave a bit of a bitter taste in our mouth, can shake our faith, can cause us to be maybe a little more cautious than we were before. But Lord, help us to be more like Simeon and Anna from a story. Lord, help us, help us not to be governed simply by the disappointments that we've experienced, but rather help us to be led by the expectation and anticipation of what you want to do and what you've promised. Lord, would you begin to increase our level of expectation? And God, I pray for someone who's here today. They're right in the middle of the waiting room of life, so to speak. They're waiting for the prayer to be answered. They're waiting for the promise to be revealed. 
Would you come to them with encouragement this morning, even at this right time, whether they're watching online, whether they're here in person, Lord, would you come to them and let them know, let them know that they are not forgotten. You are present. You are here. And in time, let them know that the answer will come. The answer will come. Increase our faith to believe this, Lord. Increase our faith to trust in you. Thank you that you're a good God who can always be counted on to be trustworthy. And we tell you today, we love you, Jesus, with all of our heart. And we pray in your wonderful name.